turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We are in part two. It's only a two-parter, so we're done today with this, this two-part series on how not to be a fool. Have, uh, have you ever done something foolish? Have you ever been a fool? Uh, we all have, right? And uh, we, we, we've all been there, you know, and, and I'm not asking you if your spouse has been a fool or, or the person next. I'm talking about have you been a fool? Uh, and we, we have uh, at one time or another. And Jesus talks, at least in two different places, maybe more because I didn't actually study it all out, but, but at least in two places, in Luke 16 and in Luke 12. And we're looking in Luke 12, beginning in verse 13, where he talks about how not to be a fool. And in both cases, it has to do with money. It has to do with, with our possessions and, and how we manage ourselves and manage our lives. And, and here is a classic story about a rich fool. So let's just jump right in. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Jesus is, is walking along, by the way, and, and uh, verse 1 of Luke 12 tells us that there are thousands of people. So, so picture the scene. Thousands of people mulling around, following Jesus, and he would pause, and he would teach, and then he would move on, and then he would teach. People are coming, people are going, but a couple thousand people in this crowd. And verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh-oh, we got family problems, right? You know, maybe daddy died and, and the kids are fighting over, over the inheritance. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wow, that goes against the American dream, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of people think life consists precisely in the abundance of your possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now let's face this head on. Is Jesus against prosperity? I mean, look at this guy. What did this man do wrong? Of course, it's a story. It's a parable. Jesus just made it up. But, but what did this man do wrong? I mean, he sounds to us like a good businessman, right? His business is prospering, so what does he do? He builds bigger barns, stores up more for his future. I mean, what's wrong with that? I mean, is Jesus saying we should not have 401ks? We should not have retirement plans? We should not be saving ahead? We should not be storing up? We shouldn't plan ahead? What, what's he saying? Well, at least part of the answer is found in verse 21. Look at what Jesus says in verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
You see, this man had a fatal flaw. He thought life was all about me, all about now, all about just enjoying now, today, right now, and I just want to accumulate as much as I can. It's all about me and my toys and myself. And that's what made him a fool. I mean, it is just plain dumb to think that life is all about you, all about now, and all of your stuff right now. That's just being foolish. Notice something else Jesus says here in verse 15. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So Jesus warns us. He's saying, watch out. Be on your guard. Against what? Against greed. Now, why would Jesus say that? I mean, I don't have a problem with greed. Do you have a problem with greed? No. Maybe maybe folks out there do, but I don't have a problem with greed. You don't have a problem with greed, right? I, I love what Pastor Tim Keller has to say about this verse Keller points out that money has the power to blind us. There's just something so almost magical about money that, that, that it just blinds us, and we become blind to our greed. For example, is there any other place where Jesus says, watch out for all forms of adultery? No. Do you know why? Is it because adultery is okay? Of course not. Jesus just simply comes out and says, do not commit adultery. But when it comes to greed, Jesus does not simply say, don't be greedy. Instead, he says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Now, why the difference? Why would Jesus say this? Well, for one thing, when when you're committing adultery, you know it, right? I mean, you don't say, oh, you're not my wife. No, no, you know. If you're committing adultery, you know it's not your wife. You know it's not your husband. Jesus doesn't have to say, watch out, be on guard. You might be committing adultery and not even be aware of it. No, you you know when you're committing adultery. So, Listen, this is why Jesus talks about money so much. This is why Jesus keeps saying, watch out for all kinds of greed. Be on guard. Because Jesus knows that, that our greed is so subtle and so tricky that sometimes we can be greedy and we don't even know it. We can be blind to it. As a pastor, over the years, I've had people, as you might imagine, come to me over the years and confess all kinds of sin. I mean all kinds of of sins and all kinds of struggles and all kinds of problems. All kinds, but never once greed. Nobody has ever come to me and said, Pastor, I am a greedy person. I am just greedy. No. No. We're blind to it. It, it, It's so easy to be fooled when it comes to your money. I ask you, are you a rich fool? Like this guy? Are you a rich fool? And now be careful here. Again, back to the question, is Jesus against prosperity? I mean, is is Jesus teaching us in this story here to give all your money away? Don't store up anything for your future. Don't have a retirement plan. Does Jesus want you to live on a dirt floor and and be half 
starved most of your life? I'm, of course not. Jesus, listen, Jesus did not teach a poverty gospel where he wants you poor and needy. Neither did he teach a prosperity gospel where life is all about consuming and acquiring and getting stuff for yourself like the TV preachers would have you believe. What Jesus taught was neither a poverty gospel nor a prosperity gospel. What Jesus taught was a generosity gospel. When you manage your money and your possessions wisely, where you give and save and spend in proper proportion. I mean, what does Paul tell the rich people to do in his letters, like in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Does he say, hey, you rich people, you need to give all your money away. Don't save up anything. You need to be poor like everybody else and just give it all away. Is that what he says? No. He says in 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Rich in good deeds. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? When he said you need to be rich toward God. See, the foolishness comes in, the sinfulness comes in, when you make life all about being rich toward yourself, and you hardly give any thought about being rich toward God. That's where the greed comes in. So here's a question for us. How can we be rich toward God? Let me give you a handful of ways to be rich toward God. Jesus says, watch out for greed. Be on your guard. Be rich toward God. How can we be rich toward God? Number one, have a good work ethic. Have a good work ethic. Paul says in his letters, for example, 2 Thessalonians 3, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Ouch. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? I encourage you to read the whole, the whole context there of 1 Thessalonians 3. The Apostle Paul is basically saying there, as followers of Jesus, you should have a good work ethic. You should not be lazy. You should not be wasting your life. Don't be sitting around expecting out handouts. In fact, he goes so far as to say things like this. If someone is just being lazy and refusing to work, then you're not obligated to feed them. Again, it sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? But, but listen, on the one hand, as followers of Jesus, we should be the most compassionate, most kind, most generous people on the planet. We should be. But at the same time, we should also be calling people up to live with a sense of personal responsibility and dignity to do what they can to help themselves. It's not one or the other, it's both. So you, you need to be a great employee at work. Christians should be so faithful and so reliable at work, so honest, people of integrity, hard workers, that, that they're in demand. Where any smart employer would say, I want to hire Christians because I know I can trust them, because I know they're going to work hard and they're going to give it their best. Do you have a good work ethic? That's part of your discipleship of following Jesus. That's a step in being rich toward God. A second step is to be humble. Be humble. Don't you dare think you are well off and successful totally because you have earned it. Maybe you have worked hard. Hopefully you've worked hard. 
But, but let me tell you something. If you lived in Borbaton, Honduras, where our sister church is and where we go almost every year, and we're going again in a few months, if you were born in Borbaton, Honduras, in a little dirt shack, and you were raised there, and maybe didn't even have the opportunity to go to a school, do you really think you would be as well off as you are right now today here? Even with the same IQ, even with the same potential skill sets, and the same kind of physical health that you enjoy here, even if you had all of that going for you, but you were born there, do you really think you would be as well off as you are here? You know you wouldn't be. You see, you and I need to humbly acknowledge that everything in our lives is a gift from God. Our brains, our abilities, our health, where we were born, our opportunities that we have. I mean, seriously, you and I have absolutely no rational reason to be arrogant. We should be most humble, realizing that everything we have is a gift from God. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. A third step in being rich toward God. So have a good work ethic, okay? Be a good worker. Be humble. Thirdly, be content in Christ. Be content in Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I, I love this verse. Uh, of course God wants us to have food and clothing and a roof over our head. And he wants us to have enough money and possessions and all to enjoy life. But really, it's about Loving God, loving people, helping others to find God and grow in their relationship with Jesus. Life is not about just accumulating and seeing how many toys you can buy and how big you can build your barns. It's about being on mission for Jesus. It's about loving people and, and helping other people to, to know the love of Jesus. That's where the joy is. A fourth step in being rich toward God is to watch out constantly for greed. Watch out constantly for greed. It's not a one and done thing. It's not like one prayer, okay, God, I don't want to be greedy anymore. Thank you very much. And you go the rest of your life. No, no, no. Jesus says, watch out. And, and in the Greek, it's like, keep watching out. Constantly be on guard. Because money is so magical and it just has a way of blinding us. And it's so easy to drift into materialism and greed. Maybe God has blessed some of you abundantly. You have way more than you really need. And it, well, why do you think, maybe just ask yourself, why do you think God blessed you in this way? Is it really simply so that you can just buy more toys and build bigger barns? Maybe he has blessed you so that you can give more to his purposes. To his kingdom. Again, 1 Timothy 6, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish, don't be a fool, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So have a good work ethic, be humble, be content, watch out for greed constantly. And number five, 
practice the 10-10-80 principle. The 10-10-80 principle. You give 10%, you save 10%, and you discipline your, your life to live off the remaining 80%. This is a key step in being rich toward God. You give 10%. Jesus says in Luke 11, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint. A tenth is a tithe. You give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. But you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You see, it's not all, you know, say, oh, it's just love, 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 don't have to tithe. Or it's tithe, 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 don't have to love. No, no. Jesus says you need to do both. The Old Testament commanded tithing. And any faithful Jew knew that they were supposed to, to tithe. And a common question is, Greg, aren't we New Testament? We're New Covenant. Christians, we follow Jesus. We're not under the old covenant anymore. And so, so we don't have to obey those Old Testament, those old covenant laws anymore, right? And I say, you are absolutely right. We are new covenant followers of Jesus Christ. We are not under the Old Testament law anymore. So if you want to give more than the 10%, go right ahead. Right? I mean, Why? Think about this. Why would we ever think that following Jesus is less demanding than following Moses? Read Matthew 5. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, remember? Jesus goes through a litany of things. Remember where he said, You've heard it said to you, but I say unto you. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. Like, I forget, five, six, seven times he says this. You've heard it said. And, he, and he's quoting some of the some of the Ten Commandments, some of the Old Testament, and, and all the ways they thought they were supposed to live. He said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look lustfully at a woman. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Or you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, don't even be angry with someone. You see what he's doing? What's he doing? He's raising the bar every time, right? Through all of those instances. So why in the world would we ever imagine that, that when Jesus says things like, you need to give generously, you need to give sacrificially, you need to watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, be rich toward God. Why would we ever think that that means less than what the Old Testament required? You see? Our junior high teenagers meet on Wednesday nights and they've been sponsoring a, a, a child because we try to foster a sense of generosity even in our, in, in our teenagers and in our children. And an eighth grade boy brought in a bag of money filled with bills and coins and he, and he said, this is a tithe of my allowance from the past two years and I want to give this. And they counted it up and it came up to about a hundred dollars. Isn't that cool? I mean, every follower of Jesus should learn to tithe even at a young age. And then when you're an adult, it's just not that big a deal. It's not that much of a hardship. It's like just, it's something we do. You give 10% of whatever your income happens to be. And then you save 10%. You save 10%. Proverbs 6, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. You know, don't be a fool. Be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer 
and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. In other words, you need to work hard. You need to have good work ethic. You need to plan ahead. You need to store up. Now, obviously, this passage, in fact, nowhere in the Bible does it say save up 10%. Obviously, Scripture doesn't give that exact that 10% number. But, but it does say you need to plan ahead. You need to store up reasonably. Even Jesus told some parables about, you know, counting the cost and you know, a man who builds a tower and doesn't have enough to finish building it because he didn't plan ahead properly. We, we need to, to plan ahead and store up properly. And financial experts today tell us that 10% is a, is a good rule of thumb for planning our future and, and, and our retirement. So you give 10%. You save 10%. And then... You live off of the 80%. Again, the Apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And don't we know that? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, God provides everything richly. For your enjoyment. See, God is rich toward you, and he asks you to be rich toward him. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads? And as we prepare for just a brief moment of reflection here, with your head bowed, and I want you to just think and pray right now. Imagine yourself five years from now. Imagine yourself no, no longer sweating over your money. Maybe you and your spouse are no longer fighting about your money. Imagine you're a good worker, you're earning a good wage, you're a good job because you've studied, you've got that degree, you've got that trade or skill where you can really add value to somewhere in the job market. Imagine yourself, you've been disciplined enough to save and you've built enough margin into your life so that when the house needs some repairs or your car breaks down, it's not a huge deal because you've been saving properly and you've got some money set aside for, for those emergencies. Imagine, imagine having your priorities so clear and your heart so on fire for Jesus that you're giving more and more to his purposes. Maybe 10% this year, maybe 11% next year, maybe even more if God is really prospering you. See, there's a way to this. There's a way. God is a way maker. By God's grace, he can make the way, help you find a way with your finances. 